0: Let's pray. Father, you are good. You're worthy of our praise and all the praise indeed goes to you alone. For you have earned it. Lord, open our eyes this morning as we get into studying your word. Lord, let us know that you are worthy, that you are worthy filled with grace and you pursue us relentlessly for we are yours in Jesus name we pray amen Amen. I fled from him down the nights and down the days I fled him down the arches of the years I fled from him down the labyrinth Of ways, of my own mind, and in the midst of tears, I hid from him, and under running laughter. This excerpt is taken from a poem written in 1893 by one Francis Thompson, and it was entitled, The Hound of Heaven. The Hound of Heaven. The Hound of Heaven tells the story of the speaker who is being pursued by divine presence. And he refers to him as the Hound of Heaven. And the speaker initially resists, tries to escape the hound through various ways of life and things of coping with life. But the speaker knows that the hound of heaven is an overwhelming force always drawing closer and never giving up. The speaker by the end of the poem finds peace and ultimately finds it by being found by the hound of heaven. He cannot escape his pursuit and gives in. To knowing that the pursuit of the hound of heaven was not merely for punishment, but rather was an expression of love. What a powerful image that that brings to us of the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. The hound of heaven, one who pursues us. Many of you are familiar with Psalm 23. Surely goodness and mercy shall what? Shall hound me. If you're not familiar with the hounds, I looked it up even last night. Uh, and if you've seen where the red fern grows, it was a book that we read as uh, children. That We read to our children about dogs that would chase animals, foxes or what have you would chase and hunt them down. And, and this, is, this is the imagery that Francis gives to us and says that, that God's grace is like something that continues and continues and continues to pursue us. Here, here's the hard question. Why is it that God's grace would pursue sinners such as you and me? What you to think about that this morning? Why is it that God's grace would pursue a sinner like you or me? And if you're a Christian this morning, I think you can echo that statement very easily. Why? Why, God? Why me? If you have your Bible, I want to invite you to open up to 2 Samuel chapter 11. 2 Samuel chapter 11, it is one of the most well-known stories in David's life. If you ask many people about David, they'll say, yes, he was a king. And he did what? He committed adultery with Bathsheba. Two primary things that we, we know about King David. What I'd like to communicate this morning, if I can, is Sin is vile. Some sins are, are more spectacular than others in their nature, but, but all sin is, is vile. It is pure, evil, nasty. But grace is great. Some grace is more spectacular than others. But the grace of God is great. Sin is vile. But grace is is great. Are you with me? If you're a believer, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, you know what that means. Because you've you've dealt with both. You've dealt with that that knowledge that there is something wrong with me. I need to be fixed. There's a problem in me that's wrong. And why am I doing these things that I should not be doing? And I know they're wrong, but I do them. And as a Christian, you've dealt with, but God's grace has overcome that in me. It has drawn me back to him, not away from him. He has pursued me as the hound of heaven and drawn me into right relationship through his son, Jesus Christ. Can I get an amen, Christian? It's all one. Second Samuel, chapter 11. Let's begin in this story. In the springtime of the year, the time when kings go out to do battle, David sent Joab and his servants with him and all Israel. And they ravaged the Ammonites and besieged Reba. But David remained at Jerusalem. It happened late one afternoon when David arose from his couch and was walking on the roof of the king's house that he saw from the roof a woman bathing. And the woman was very beautiful. And David sent and inquired about the woman and said. And one said, is it not Bathsheba, the daughter of Eliam, the wife of Uriah, the Hittite? So David sent messengers. And took her. And she came to him and he lay with her. Now. She had been purifying herself from her uncleanliness while she was bathing. Then she returned to her house and the woman conceived. And she sent and told David, I am pregnant. We stop here for a moment to to look at our first thought today. And that is this sin is is vile. There is something evil About seeing another man's wife. Pursuing her. Taking her. And having intimate relations. With her. We live in a culture that that loves to. Celebrate ungodliness. Our culture has been. uh, Easing towards a celebration of sin rather than a condemnation of sin. In fact, uh, in about nine days, you're going to get an onslaught of pride for sin. Things that God has condemned, our world loves to celebrate. And, and Christian, I wonder... Does that creep into our own conscience? Where we come up with different names for things that are vile in the eyes of God. Christian, do we figure out ways to tolerate or work around the sin problem rather than seeing sin in the same with the same disdain That our Heavenly Father does. As Christians, we have a responsibility to view things in light of how God views things. The things that God loves, we are to cling to, Romans chapter 12 tells us, cling to what is good. But Romans chapter 12 also gives us the the alternate. And that is to to what? To hate what is evil. So Christian, I ask you, do we have a view, a proper view, a biblical view of how we are to view sin? With that said, do we we have any sinners in the house today? Because... Because you got one preaching to you right now. That is not to say that I, I have uh, overcome sin and do not daily battle with self-centeredness, self-righteousness, arrogance. But what I don't do as a Christian is affirm those things. I don't look at myself and say, yes, I've got problems, but I love my problems. That's just who I am. I look at the things that, that I do and the thoughts that I have and, and the deficiencies of who I am and I go and I pray, God, help me, deliver me. As a Christian, we have a different way of dealing with, with sin. So this morning, my hope is that we come to sin and we look at this picture of David stealing another man's bride and treating her as his own, as something vile. Not as a story we've heard over and over, but as something vile and repugnant to us. But that we don't stop there. That we come to our own. Deficiencies. That we come to our own decisions. That are against what God is. When his good and godly commands. And we look at those as vile as well. And that we are fair. And as Jesus gave to us. You address the plank in your own eye rather than the speck in your brother's eye. But we don't not address the the speck in the eye or the plank in ours. He commands us to deal with both, to deal with sin. So this morning, this morning we focus on sin that is tolerated. And that you do business on sin that is tolerated this morning, especially in this realm of sexual sin. So this morning I, I bring to the forefront issues that, that plague, that plague our families, that plague our country and our world, and that is. Adultery. Adultery is not okay. And adultery takes place by church members all over our country and all over our state and and possibly all over this church. Pornography. Pornography. I was told some statistics yesterday by people that I trust that 95% of people have viewed inappropriate images and that a vast majority of people continue to do so even in the church. Having intimate relationships with people who are not your spouse is wrong. We cannot justify these in the eyes of God. John Owen said this, he said, be killing sin or sin will be killing you. Be killing sin or sin will be killing you. Christian, there is no place for ungodly intimacy or desires if you are a child of God. Sin is vile. And sin is deadly. And sin will take you down the hole with it. The Bible says that the devil and all of his demons will spend eternity in the lake of fire. That's what the Bible says. And they would love nothing more than to take you with them. Jesus said. If your right hand causes you to sin, what, church? Cut it off. Because it's better to enter the kingdom of heaven maimed than to suffer the fires of hell. Brothers and sisters, I tell you, not because I love standing up here. In fact, I dread this. Dread it with all of my being. If you only knew But I say in love to you as the body of my shepherd and I love that there is sexual sin going on, improper thoughts, bad habits that need to be dealt with now. They need to be cut off. And I say this because I love you. And I don't know who you are. But you do. Be killing sin or sin will be killing you. Peter says it this way. Be sober minded. Be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion. Seeking someone to what? To devour Have you seen an animal devour another animal? Have you ever seen Discovery Channel? You Go watch it. Don't watch too much of it. but, But you watch it. And you can see what a lion does to a zebra. Be killing sin. Or sin will be killing you. The Lord told Cain, who killed his brother... If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door, ready to pounce. Its desire is against you, but you must rule over it. You must be killing sin, or sin will be killing you. What's the next phase of sin? I'm glad that you asked. Not only is it committing sin and and justifying sin, but the power of sin also moves to the next step. So David sent word to Joab. Send me Uriah the Hittite. And Joab sent Uriah to David. Joab, the commander of the army. When Uriah came to him, David asked how Joab was doing and and how the people were doing and how the war was going. And, And David said to Uriah, go down to your house and wash your feet. And Uriah went down out of the king's house and there followed him a present from the king. But Uriah slept at the door of the king's house with all the servants of his lord. He did not go down to his house. And when they told David, Uriah did not go down to his house. David said to Uriah, how did you not come? Have you not come from a journey? Why did you not go down to your house? Uriah said to David, the ark and Israel and Judah dwell in tents. And my Lord Joab and the servants of my Lord are camping in an open field. How then could I go to my house to eat and drink and lie with my wife? As you live and as your soul lives, I will not do this thing. Then David said to Uriah, remain here today with me also and tomorrow I'll send you back. So Uriah remained in Jerusalem that day and the next and David invited him and he ate in his presence and drank so that he made him drunk. And in the evening, he went out to lie on his couch with the servants of his Lord, but he did not go to be with his wife. Well, we all know what David is trying to get Uriah to do. He's trying to cover up so that Uriah and everyone else won't figure out what has happened. And and I love how the author of Samuel juxtaposes Uriah, the honorable, versus David, the wicked. And he brings to our light what the heart of a God-fearing man would do. Sin is deceptive. And David is seeking to now cover his sin. He committed it, he justified it, and now he wants to cover it. And that's the next phase of it. And and friends, I, I ask you Are you covering your sin? Are you hiding it? Are you justifying it? Be killing sin. Or sin will be killing you. Last night I had one. I had the best biscuit I've ever had in my life. It's the best biscuit. I had breakfast for supper last night. Lynette graciously cooked breakfast for all of our young adults at her house. And she has this monster in her house. It's. It's some animal, but it's a sourdough thing, and you have to feed this sourdough. I've never heard of this in my life, so this is neat to me. You have to feed this sourdough animal thing that grows and grows, and then you can take chunks of it and throw it in the oven, and it becomes the best biscuit that you ever tasted. But when you feed it, it grows, and this is amazing. It's like a monster you're growing in your own house. Guess what David fed. This whole situation is now growing and growing. And now he's calling his faithful soldiers, his honorable soldiers back to him to try to cover up what he's done wrong. And it's going to continue to grow. Verse 14. It's a monster. In the morning... David wrote a letter to Joab and sent it by the hand of Uriah. Do you see this man? In the letter, he wrote, Send Uriah to the forefront of the hardest fighting and then draw back from him that he may be struck down and he may die. Kill him. And as Joab was besieging the city, he assigned Uriah to the place where he knew there were valiant men fighting. And the men of the city came out and fought with Joab. Some of the servants of David among the people fell. Uriah the Hittite also died. Then Joab sent and told David all the news about the fighting. He instructed the messengers, when you have finished telling all the news about the fighting to the king... And the king's anger rises because you lost people. And if he says to you, why did you go so near to the city to fight? Did you not know that they would shoot from the wall? Who killed Abimelech, the son of Jerosubeth? Did not a woman cast an upper millstone from him? He's quoting back from the scriptures. Why did you go so near the wall? Then you say to him. Your servant, Uriah the Hittite, is dead also. So the messengers went and came to David and told him all and and told David all that Joab had sent him to tell. The messenger said to David, the men gave an advantage over us. They came out against us and we drove them back to the entrance of the gate. Then the archer shot at your servants from the wall and some of the king's servants are dead. Your servant, Uriah the Hittite. Is dead also. So David said to the messengers, Thus you shall say to Joab, Do not let this matter displease you, for the sword devours now one and now another. Strengthen your attack against the city and overthrow it and encourage him. And watch this. When the wife of Uriah heard that Uriah, her husband, was dead, She lamented over her husband. It's growing. The monster is growing. Not only do you cover it up, you protect it, and you do whatever it takes because sin becomes the master. And so whatever it takes, I'm going to guard it. That means more sin, that's fine. It's like the lie that grows and grows into another lie to protect the first lie, a third lie to protect the second lie. And when the morning, when her morning was over, David sent and brought her to his house And she became his wife and bore him a son. But the thing that David had done, help me out, church. Sin displeased the Lord. David did everything he could to please himself in chapter 11. But it displeased the Lord. Sin is vile. One verse later. Remember the last thing we read. And there are no chapters. and Verses when this was written. It was just written. But the thing that David had done displeased the Lord. The very next sentence that the author writes. And the Lord sent Nathan to David. Sin is vile, but today sin is not the end. Sin is not the end. The Lord sent Nathan to David. And in God's great grace, he did not leave David Where he was. David chose to walk away from God's goodness and his good desires. But the Lord sent Nathan to David. The Lord specifically and purposefully and in his providential plan sent someone to rescue a sinner wallowing in his sin. Jesus told us the parable, right? The 99, would not the good shepherd leave the 99 to go do what? To rescue the one. David is the one. Hey Christian, you are the one. And that is why we sing amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I was lost, but now I'm found. I was blind, but now I see. It is why we sing grace, grace, God's grace, grace that is greater than all of our sin. Because he sent the one, his son, to save my soul. Nathan came to him and said to him, there were two men in a certain city, one rich, the other poor. The rich man had very many flocks and herds, but the poor man had nothing but one little ewe lamb, which he had bought. And he brought it up and he grew up with him and with his children. He, he used to eat the morsels and drink from his cup and lie in his arms and it was like a, a daughter to him. Now there came a traveler to the rich man, and he was unwilling to take one of his own flock or his herd to prepare for the guests who had come to him. But he took the poor man's lamb, and he prepared it for the man who had come to stay with him. And then David gets angry and was greatly kindled against the man. And he said to Nathan, as the Lord lives, the man who has done this deserves to die. Oh, the clarity. That we have against sin when we're not the one we're looking at. Y'all know what I'm talking about. You can look at your husband, your wife, your son, your daughter, your sister, your brother. And you can find everything that they're doing wrong. Can't you? It's easy to see their sin. Oh, it's so hard to look at that mirror. Because there's so much work going on inside of us to make those things okay. And, brothers and sisters, that's why we have each other. The Lord sent Nathan. The Lord has you a part of a church for a reason. You can't do it alone. You you want to have everything your way. I talked to a gentleman Thursday. He said, Look, I work with a guy. He complains about everybody else. And has to have his way every time. Every decision has to be his way. He's lost his wife. His kids don't want to be around him. And he is alone. You want your way. Have it. But you're going to be alone. And spiritually if you want your way. Have it. Ignore God. But he has told you. Oh, man. What the consequences are. And there is judgment. That man who's done this, who has done this, deserves to die. And he shall restore the lamb fourfold because he did this thing and because he had no pity. And Nathan said to him, help me out, church. You are that man. And more than a lamb you stole, you stole his wife. You are the man. Thus says the Lord God of Israel, I anointed you king over Israel and I delivered you. Out of the hand of Saul, and I gave you your master's house and your master's wives into your arms, and gave you the house of Israel and of Judah. And if this were too little, I would add to you much more. Why have you despised the word of the Lord to do what is evil in his sight? You have struck down Uriah the Hittite with the sword, and have taken his wife to be your own wife, and have killed him with the sword of the Ammonites. How therefore? Now therefore, and hear this: Now therefore, the sword shall never depart from your house, because you have despised me. You have despised me. You have despised me, and have taken the wife of Uriah the Hittite to be your wife. Thus says the Lord: Behold, I will I will raise up to your neighbor. I'm sorry. I will raise up evil against you out of your own house and i will take your wives from before your eyes and give them to your neighbor and he shall lie with your wives in the sight of the sun for you did it secretly but i will do this thing before all of israel before the sun i know what you did in private says the lord and i'm going to make it public there are consequences to our sin and let me share for a moment that, that look, sin is, is not private. It's not. God sees all that you do. God sees all that I do. God sees all of our thoughts and he knows us inside and out. Culture wants you to think that if it doesn't hurt somebody else, it's okay. That's what I hear over and over and over <coughs> What we heard so many years ago is what people do in their own bedrooms doesn't matter. And six years later, it's part of school curriculum. And it's forced down people's throats. Private sin is not private sin. It affects people. It affects others. It affects your sons, your daughters, your grandchildren. It affects your brothers, your spouse. Your sin is not private. And it is a lie to think that it doesn't affect anyone else. What goes into your mind? I have heard over and over and over the argument for pornography is it doesn't hurt anybody. What I do alone doesn't matter. Do you know how much damage that what goes into your mind does to you, to your spouse, to your future spouse? It matters. Our teenagers are bombarded and young adults are bombarded every day. With inappropriate sexualization, grooming, and attacks. Pray for our young people, church. It is overwhelming. Y'all still with me? Sin is vile, but, but grace is great. Nathan directly addresses the sin of David in love and does not let David continue in this path that he has made for himself and that he has carved out for himself. And so David replies immediately to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. Did you hear that? David replies, I have sinned against the Lord. And this Christian, hear me, Christian. This is the turning point of the story. This is where the grace of God has come and awoken David to the reality of who he has become. Sinner, maybe you're here this morning. You don't know Jesus. And today is that turning point for you. That you say, I am the man. I am the woman. The one who has built a web of of lostness and brokenness. And, And maybe God sent you here today to hear this passage of scripture. David says, I have sinned against the Lord. This is the response of the heart that is born of God. I have sinned against the Lord. The heart that is born again, the heart that is made new says, I have sinned against the Lord. It is a heart that confesses. First John, we studied recently, if you confess your sin, he is faithful and just to do what? To forgive your sin. And so Nathan says to him, the Lord also has put away your sin, you shall not die. You know what that sounds like to me? The Lord also has put away your sin, you shall not die. It sounds like what we saw way back in the garden when Adam and Eve sinned against God, and they chose to do what God told them specifically not to do. And God gave them grace, and in the day that they sinned, they did not perish. Nevertheless, because of this deed, you have utterly scorned the Lord, a child who is born to you shall die. Notice that David's sin does affect others, that his sin is not private. Here's a question, though. Does God just overlook David's sin? You see it right there. The Lord has put away your sin. You shall not die. What kind of judge puts away sin and doesn't deal with it? Dale Ralph Davis, one of my favorite Old Testament commentators, he points this out. He says, "The son of David died." As a response to David's sin. Let me say that again where you might hear it. The son of David dies as a result of David's sin. Let me say that again for those who who haven't quite got it yet. The son of David, the son of David dies for David's sin. Was that last week we talked about the son of David? You see, there's always a price for sin, but grace is great. Grace is great. And I want to tell you today that the son of David, Jesus, the Messiah, has died for your sin. And if you're here in this congregation this morning and you've heard that, your heart should leap and say, praise God. Amen. The son of David died for my sin too. I, will, I built my web. I did my thing. I chose my path. But God sent someone. Maybe not Nathan, but God sent someone. To bring the message of the gospel. To save me. And to transform me. And now I come to church on Sunday morning because I love Jesus. That's what I do. I owe him my all. The son of David died for my sin. I have sinned against the Lord. And the son of David has died for my sin. This is redemption. Creation. Fall. Redemption. Kingdom. Redemption is that moment when the Lord brings the prophet to you. He brings the one with the word of God to you, and you hear the message and say, I have sinned against God. Father, forgive me. Let's wrap up with with one more passage of Scripture. Can we do that? How then? I have sinned against God. How do we do that? And as I've, I've shared with you over the last few weeks, sometimes the, the poetry brings dimensions that narrative doesn't quite give to us, right? You know what I'm talking about? When Belinda's singing the song here this morning, As she's singing the song, that music fills behind her, and you, you, you see it differently than if she just spoke those words to you. Hear the confession. Hear the confession that comes from David in Psalm fifty-one. Now, now let me, as we get there, let me explain one word to you. The word confess, the, and y'all know that I love studying these words. But the, the word confess in Greek is homologeo. Homologeo. Now you know what homo means. It means the same, right? Homo. Logato, you know what, and that comes from the word logos, which means word. Jesus. In the beginning was the logos. In the beginning was the word. So you've got the same word, is what confess means. To confess something is to say the same word. It is to say something that is that is. The word someone else has said. And, and so confession here, if I can help you, you admit the truth that God has proclaimed. You confess that. So if, if I can confess to you and say something, confess that, make a confession means I'm going to say what I believe is to be true in the eyes of God. This is what what David is doing. Lord, I have I have understood reality in this false way of this web I have built but now I'm confessing that I was wrong and now your way is right does that make sense I have lived in this realm of of lies and this false reality but I'm confessing now that your way is true and my false world is not reality your way is true that's my confession listen to David's heart Have mercy on me, O God, according to your hesed, according to your abundant mercy, blot out my transgression, wash me thoroughly from my iniquity, cleanse me from my sin, for I know my transgressions, and my sin is ever before me. Against you and you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight, so that your words may be proven true and blameless in your judgment. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and and in sin did my mother conceive me. From birth I have been a sinner. Behold, you delight in what is true, in the inward being, and you teach me wisdom in the secret heart. Purge me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones that you have broken, let them rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out my iniquities. Oh God, create in me a clean heart and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from your presence. Don't take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and uphold me with a willing spirit. Then I will teach transgressors your ways and sinners will return to you. Deliver me from blood guiltiness, O God. O God of my salvation, my tongue will sing aloud of your righteousness. O Lord, open my lips. And my mouth will declare your praise for you will not delight in sacrifice or I would give it. You will not be pleased with a burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. O oh God, you will not despise. This morning, you may have sin in your life that you need to deal with. God's grace is great because it has reached out to you. In this moment. How will you respond to God's grace? Jesus saves sinners that repent. Will you repent before God? Jesus saves sinners that repent. Let's pray together. Father thank you for your word. The great grace you have shown us. And as we repent. Oh God of our sin. Restore to us the joy of our salvation. Or make people new today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.